Welcome to the Zen-ish Mommy Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman, and while I may never reach enlightenment, you will find me here cussing and laughing along the way. This podcast is a place for all women to connect, educate themselves, and slow down because you deserve a moment to pause and press play. Thanks for tuning in. It's a great day to talk about love or coming back from a breakup. So you probably had some breakup story along the way, whether it was like way back in the day in high school, someone broke your heart or even as recently as a divorce in midlife. But how do we recover from a breakup when our heart's been broken? Maybe there was a mistrust along the way or an infidelity. How do we begin to learn to love ourselves, most importantly, so that we can begin to learn to trust and love others? My next guest is known as the Breakup Recovery Coach. Having gone through her own breakup and being on the other side of it, she is super passionate about helping women let go of their ex, learn to love themselves, and be ready for their best relationship yet. I want to welcome Breakup and Recovery Coach Tal Yardini. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So I go back to the wedding planner, that movie with Jennifer Lopez. And it was like, those who can't wed plan. So those who don't date are breakup recovery coaches. How does that work? Do you have like a a breakup story? You have to have a good juicy one, right? Yeah. I feel like I have a lot actually. It really came from a string of toxic relationships where I was just seeing this pattern. Like I keep ending up in the same kind of relationship, even though the guy seems to be completely different. The last one was more of a situationship, actually. It was a very painful on and off again, almost five year situationship. Okay. I'm old. What is a situation? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So a situationship is honestly, it's actually one of the worst kind of breakups you can have because you do all the things that you would do with a partner, except you don't have the title of a partner. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it's like they get all the benefits, but there's no reciprocity. So it ends up being a lot of giving. It's a one-sided relationship. Usually you end up giving a lot and it ends up being a lot on their terms. So whoever is the person who doesn't want to be in the relationships, there's like a lot of breadcrumbing that happens. Okay. What's breadcrumbing? So breadcrumbing is basically little things that will keep you around. You're so starving for anything because you're getting so little. They just give you a tiny bit and it keeps you around because like, oh, look, they're showing up. You seem schooled in toxic relationships. It does come from a lot of experience, but I think that that last relationship was enough to put me in this place of like, okay, no more. And I'm going to figure this out so that I don't get into these kinds of relationships again. When I figured out what that process was for me, then I knew that I wanted to teach this to other people because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know how painful it is to be in this space. And you feel like something's wrong with me. How do I keep on ending up in the situation, especially because on the outside, it looks like I have it together. I was always the go-to person with my friends. Someone had an issue. Someone had a problem. You come to Tal. Tal's got it figured out in her life, except this one area. So I was determined to get to the other side of that. You know, we can't control other people and what they do, but we can control our side of the street and what we do and how we come to the table. That for me was my aha moment in life where I was like, okay, no more. Did you have to do a deep dive and start to get real honest with yourself about what you were contributing to this kind of recurring pattern of toxic relationships? Oh, yeah. We think we can bypass this, which is why I was ending up in these relationships over and over again, because I wasn't doing that deep inventory. You have to look inward because sure, they might have done X, Y, and Z and all of these things, but like, why were you allowing it? Right. That was one of my questions for myself is like, you saw this person, they showed you pretty early on who they were. 
why did you keep going back? What was it about that situation that was enticing? So you have to look inward to see like, where am I also unavailable to myself? I know that's the shitty part, right? It's It's like, ultimately it always comes back to us. Does it come back to your childhood? Most of the time? Yes. You know, when I'm working with my clients, I don't do a really deep dive into your childhood because I feel like we can get stuck there. And so that's kind of where like coaching and therapy are different. And I think therapy is wonderful and useful, but we do different things. So Mm -hmm. you need to know the psychology of why you do what you do, but then where do you go from here? Right. Because we can stay in that all day long, like that mommy and daddy stuff. Like we all have had a childhood. We've all been traumatized in some way. We've all gone through some version of this. When we think like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who's been through this. It's like, no, pretty much everyone has been through this in some way, shape or form. But what are you going to do with that knowledge that you now have? That's externalizing and taking that focus off of you. And once again, putting it on someone else like, well, I'm this way because this happened to me. Not to shame, blame, and I'm not speaking to abuse and or like deep deep trauma. It's like a whole other bag. So what did you start to evaluate? Was it like your picker was off? I mean, what was the continuing factor that kept you coming back for more? I saw that I was seeking external validation to make me feel whole. When someone was treating me well, or when someone was giving me attention, then that made me valuable. And the big thing for me, what I figured out, and this has to do with my spiritual work is that we're inherently valuable just because we are. Amen, yeah. Yeah, it has nothing to do with our careers. It has nothing to do with if you're a parent. It has nothing to do with your accomplishments or your accolades. It's just we are inherently valued just because we are here, we're alive, and we're breathing. That's it. And I had to figure that out and connect that so that I no longer was seeking it externally from other people to validate my experience, who I am as a human. And that really was the shift and the game changer for me. In a breakup is one of those places that challenge our value and self-worth. They're like, yeah, and they didn't want me, yes. right? So it's really calling to surface this idea that, yes, you're inherently valuable, but you've got all of these external factors that are saying, no, you're not. You're so right when you say that because it's probably the number one thing I hear from women is that they don't feel enough. Well, they didn't choose me. Well, they didn't fight for me. Well, they didn't come to the table. Well, they betrayed me. So obviously this has to do with me as a human. When honestly, half the time has nothing to do, not even half the time, most of the time it has nothing to do with you. It's that person's capacity. Some people are just not capable. And honestly, some people are just not meant to be in your life for as long as you think they should be. They're meant to come in, teach you what you need to learn, and then they move on. And let me tell you, when I look back on some of these relationships, you can use God, creator, universe, whatever works for you. I'm like, thank you, God, that this person was removed from my life. Thank you that you had to make it so extreme for me, for me to be like, this is a hell no. Okay. So someone comes to you, they've had a messy breakup or divorce. How do you start to coach them through the healing process? One of the biggest first things is acceptance. And that can do with acceptance of self and acceptance of the other person, acceptance of the relationship being over. And it's layered because with acceptance comes a lot of shame comes a lot of blame, comes a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda's. Like, how could I have stayed in something when I knew it wasn't right for me? Why didn't I see the signs sooner? What was it about me where they felt like they couldn't show up for me? And especially if someone was cheated on, that betrayal, it's like so deep, really cuts you to the core. You don't have to love where you're at, but the way that we heal is that we accept where we're at. Like we're not bypassing anything, but we do have to come to this place of acceptance so that you can actually start moving through and moving forward. 
And then what about the closure piece? I think for me in my life, I've had to have closure in relationships by myself. The other person was not participating in my closure. And it's really fucking hard. Like what you want is to be able to have a conversation and a sit down. You want to air your thoughts and your feelings and you want them to validate you. And then you'll be like, okay, and this didn't work out and we're going to move on. I was exactly the same way. Everything that you just said, I remember thinking to myself, there is a misconception that we need closure from our ex in order to move on. I want to break that myth right now because most of the time you don't get it from the other person. And even if you do, it's not what you think it's going to be. They're not going to pick up the phone and be like, you know what? You were really right. Or I can understand how you felt that way. Even if you sit down and have a sit down, they're probably not going to get you what you want or what you feel you deserve. Amen. You're giving your power away essentially, because you're waiting for another person to take your pain away. You're thinking that whatever they're going to say is going to take your pain away. And most of the time it's not because they're not showing up for you in the way that you would have wanted. You don't need someone else to say like, I'm so sorry I hurt you. Like, sure, are the words nice, but where's the changed behavior behind it? The hurt is still there. The betrayal still happened. The relationship not working out, that's a fact. That's happened. The way you put yourself in the driver's seat is that you take agency over your healing and your life and you decide, I am giving myself closure. How do I do that? I decide right now, I don't need someone else to tell me that what they did wasn't right. I decide right now that what happened in this relationship wasn't right. I decide right now that this is as far as the relationship could go. I decide right now that even though it was so painful for me to walk away, I know that this is the best thing for me. That's the closure that you give yourself. Amen. And it's important to say that because I think whether it's friendships, relationships, it's all the same. Like we want so much to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. We want so much to understand the why. Why did you cheat on me? Why did you treat me this way? Why, why, why? Because in some way, finding out that why would give some validation. When women come to me and they are feeling so sad over this loss, I always make sure to emphasize how brave it is to walk away from someone who you love deeply, but you know that the way that it is right now is not enough. And then you put kids into this picture. So you're not only walking away from that person, but you're walking away from the vision of the family that you had together. It's incredibly brave to walk away. I love coming back to that word. I think it's so important and it's not used often enough. Do you think there's a difference in men and women as they heal from breakup? I think we're getting better, but I think that society does not allow for men to openly grieve. Men are supposed to be strong. We're getting to this point now where we're having more conversations about emotional availability and men being able to tap into their emotions and that there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with tenderness. There's nothing wrong with being open. But I think that there is this notion that a man can easily move on because he's not showing it. He's not displaying it in the same way. In some ways, it's worse because they're internalizing. So it doesn't mean that there's not a lot going on. It's just that they're not showing it. And women are more open to show emotions, feelings, you know, what's going on. We tend to wear our emotions sometimes. And of course, I'm making generalizations because not everyone's the same. But I don't think that it's necessarily easier for them. I think that they're just maybe better equipped to compartmentalize because that's what they've been taught. That goes to my next question in this kind of rebound relationship. I'm being very stereotypical here. This is not everyone, (laughs) but you have the divorce and then all of a sudden the man's got the new younger wife and he's wifed up right away and, you know, they move in together and you're still like, six months post-divorce in a pool of your own snot and you know not knowing what to do with yourself. When is there the rebound relationship? Is it important? Are you like Stella going to get her groove back and you need to get right back out there and like <laughs> find some good D or do you need to like just I, take a big old break? I mean, what does I love that this, look like? I love this question. Personally, what I teach women is that you need to spend time alone. 
So I don't believe in a rebound relationship. To speak to the man who goes and gets a younger woman and pretends that all is fine and dandy, it's because they don't know how to appropriately deal with their emotions, right? So they go to the next shiny object and they're off to the next thing. But there's deeply rooted stuff that's never been dealt with. And it's going to show up in that relationship one way or another. That's a whole separate issue. When you're talking about rebound relationships, you know, there's this awful advice that gets given to women is that you just got to get back out there in order to get over someone, you got to get under someone. And that's awful advice because basically what you're saying is that it takes someone else in order for you to get over your healing. But again, you're not dealing with the core issues because what would it look like to be able to heal this stuff that keeps showing up in your life? What would it look like to know how to sit with yourself so that you're not just running to the next person to fill that void because you can't stand to be by yourself. And so I'm not teaching women to be by themselves for the rest of their lives. I love relationships. I love love, but I want you to have a healthy relationship. I don't want you to settle for the next thing that comes along because you can't sit with yourself because it's too much. The thought of being with yourself, taking yourself out on a date, not having someone by your side is just too much for you that you go and you settle for the next thing that comes along. That's not even close to what you want. So when you do that kind of work, you can come into dating from a different perspective because you don't need someone to fill a void. You understand that you are whole. So then it can become fun. It can become lighter. There's not this need of like, are you going to be it? Are you going to be the guy? Are you going to be the person? And so often we put that pressure on new relationships. All of a sudden, do you want kids? Are we getting married? Are we moving in? What's your five-year plan? You know, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. But I think it's that inability to be alone with ourselves. And I'm speaking from a place of being married for 16 years, I guess, maybe (laughs) something like that (laughs) together Uh for 20, my entire adult life to the point where I don't even really know what it's like to be alone. And I have kids. I've always had kids. I had his kids I inherited and my own kids. Now I like myself and I do a lot of things for myself every day and Mm -hmm. I make myself a priority, but that aspect of really sitting there being comfortable, being alone, that's a hard one to get used to. Especially if you've never done it before. What you said is exactly right. How would you know how to do this if you've never done it before? It's a muscle. It's learning to tend to yourself and give yourself what you think that someone else needs to give you. It's not that we never need validation from another person. It's not that we never need tenderness from another person. But when you know how to give it to yourself, you're not going to try to get it from the wrong person. When you look at movies, it's always that someone else is going to make us whole. Someone else is going to give us something that's missing. Our life doesn't really begin until we're in that relationship. And so we want to get out of that notion. And you want to know that everything that you seek from someone else, you can absolutely give to yourself. Can someone else enhance that in your life? Absolutely. That actually makes for a healthy relationship. When a person comes whole, knows how to fill themselves up, another person comes whole and knows how to fill themselves up. And now you go on a journey together and it becomes expansive. As opposed to, I am so empty. I don't know how to give to myself. I don't think well of myself. I don't think that I'm this. I don't think that I'm that. And I need you to validate all of this for me. That's a tremendous amount of pressure to put on somebody else. I'm just thinking about my daughter. She's 14 and she'll be a freshman in high school. And she keeps saying to me, I want a relationship. I don't want to be single my whole life. And all I'm hearing is you, you're going to be the little birdie on my shoulder being like, but Eva, you need to learn to make yourself whole first. Yes. And she watches, of course, all of those like ridiculous 
Netflix shows. You know, I did have to pull her aside and be like, honey, it's not like that. <laughs> Six foot five, hot bod in a banging house. He's not yeah. going to roll up on his motorcycle. It's like the 16 candles all over again, but modern yep. day. I was like, it doesn't really work that way. We're redoing it to our children. Society's redoing it. I mean, we're just packaging it up differently. No other person will ever make you happy, period. It's not their job. It's not their responsibility. It's not their mm-hmm. obligation. Fuck, that's a lot of pressure. It's a ton of pressure. First, I want to say it's so beautiful that you said that to your daughter, because I think it's very important important, especially for young women, to be told what the reality is because it's not being modeled in modern day society. Even the current rom-coms that we have, the TV shows that we have, it's still all about my life doesn't really begin until I'm in a relationship. And then what kinds of relationships? It's usually like the bad boy or the fixer-upper, someone who was completely shut off from reality, but I'm going to be the one to save them. And that's such a terrible thing to be teaching other women because we're not here to fix others. That's when our picker becomes off, right? Like we want someone to fill a void in ourselves that we don't know how to fill or satisfy, or we see someone as a project that we're going to be the one. We even overextend our own inherent value and worth. We're like, no, we're going to be it. I know this person has had failed relationship after failed relationship, but I'm the one that's going to be different. So when we recover from this breakup, when we start digging into the self, when we can start being comfortable sitting with our own silence, how do we know we're ready to get back out there and date? So one of the biggest things is that when you get to a place of having acceptance that that relationship is over, that there's no future of that relationship. There's also another misconception that if I still have feelings for my ex, if I still love my ex, if I still care about my ex, then I must not be ready. And that's not true. You could have love for your ex for the rest of your life, but that love has changed and morphed into something else where you can appreciate the good times of that relationship, the things that were really beautiful and real and hold that and also know, but there are other things that were not right. And that's why I chose to move on. Just because you still care for your ex doesn't mean that you're not ready. I always say to my clients, like before we go out into the dating world, I really need you to know what your non-negotiables are what your values are. These things are super important because these are the things that we don't bend on. And it'll be really easy for you to discern if you should keep going with this new person that you meet, or if it's a hell no, because, oh my gosh, it's like such a big red flag. We're not aligned. It'll be easy for you to tell. But what happens is when you don't know exactly what it is that's important to you, then you'll make red flags green. You'll start to negotiate in your head and be like, oh, it's not so bad. I'm sure it'll get better. Do you have exercises for your clients that help them kind of discover what's important to them? So I have them look at their past three relationships and I say, I want you to look at your past three relationships and the things that you weren't getting, the things that you constantly asked for, or you felt like were missing in the relationship, these things are super important to you. And they either fall in your non-negotiables and or your values. Let's say, for example, communication is usually a big one in a relationship, right? And you notice in your past three relationships, you never felt safe to speak up or you felt like every time you bring up a concern, you were shot down. The person would withdraw from you instead of leaning in and going, hey, this is what's coming up for me and I'd love to have a discussion with you. Then you know, communication is top priority for me. And sometimes when you look at values, there are a few values that can fall under one umbrella because with communication or with trust, trust, safety, they're synonymous with each other. That's a really good way to quickly know what is important to you is to look at what you didn't get. Is there hope that there's men out there that are emotionally available? It seems like more often than not that they're not emotionally available or in tune. Absolutely. I just did a podcast interview with a man. His name is Matthew Allen. He is such an embodiment of what emotional availability looks like in men. And I shared it with my community because I really want them to see, because it's the one thing that I hear so much is that there are no emotionally available men out there. I feel like every guy I meet, they're emotionally unavailable and they're actually everywhere. 
It's just that when you're used to having a certain kind of guy, you're looking for different things. When you start to change your values and your non-negotiables, you're going to meet more people in your orbit that you're like, wow, I've never met a person like this before. Oh, wow. It's so easy for them to share. Oh, they have no issue with answering this question. I didn't even ask. And they were willing to share. They have an openness about them. Ron, don't you think too, that once we start to do our own inner work, we start to attract those people that exude those similar qualities? Absolutely. Energetically, your vibes are becoming higher. You're no longer going to vibe with people on a different playing field than you. And so what you're going to find attractive, it's going to change for you. So when I think back to some of my past relationships, if a version of these types of men came into my world today, I wouldn't even be attracted to a guy like that because I've done so much work on myself and the things that are attractive to me, the things that I look for are completely different. So absolutely. And it's amazing that you can start to smell the bullshit from a mile away, right? <laughs> when you start to do the work and you're like, mm, yeah, they're all sorts of toxic. You're seeing some like deep childhood unresolved trauma that they haven't dealt with and their relationship <laughs> blueprint is like a freaking mansion and the baggage is long. And you know, you start to really identify that stuff because you've worked through your own bag of tricks. You can lovingly say, thank you so much, not for me. So let's go to infidelity because that's a hard one to come back from. How do you start to heal and just this idea of trust? Because so much gets lost in that moment when you've been through something like cheating, infidelity, emotional or physical. You know, how do you start to trust love again? Yeah, that's a great question and a valid one because it feels like one of the worst betrayals. And so what happens is that you don't trust yourself after going through something like this. Because the one thing that I'll hear is, how did I not see this? How did I not know this? When we dissect, most oftentimes I find is that there's an intuition, there's an inkling, but there's no hard proof. And because there's no hard proof, then we either ignore it or we were going, oh, it's in my head. But a woman's intuition is like spot on, spot, spot, spot on. And one of the things I teach you is really how to trust your intuition so that we don't have to wait for the shit storm to go something's not right. We can act, we can speak up. When we just sense, I don't know what it is exactly, but I have this inkling that something is off. So when you can trust that you know this for yourself, it's going to be a lot easier for you to enter the dating pool. Also, we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And it doesn't mean that we just, here's my heart, here's everything, take it. But that person is not your ex. So if we go into it thinking like, oh my gosh, all men cheat, then of course, it's going to be really hard for you to open up. But how can I be open and still guard my heart at the same time? That all comes back to my values and my non-negotiables, my boundaries. I don't go from one to 10 on a first date. I don't go from one to 10, three dates in. Whatever it is for you, I slowly allow for more. I slowly give more as long as it feels safe to me. And I'm constantly checking in with myself to see how is this feeling for me? Because what happens is we tend to ignore how we feel. You want to do the opposite of that. You want to be constantly checking in with yourself. Does this feel good? I don't know why. Something feels a little off here. Something's a little funky. What's that about? Let me explore. Get curious. Curiosity is so important. And mm -hmm. I, I've said this so many times is that we've kind of been bred out of trusting our intuition as women yeah. and to really question it. We get told all the time, we're wrong. You don't know about your body or your mind. Yep. You know, you're crazy. And there is so much beauty in the knowing when you start to access that and really connect with it and check in with yourself. The body is so important and communicative. And when we start to really trust what the body is telling us, we know when something's not right or we know when a situation is right. I come back to my daughters. I'm like, if you ever have 
any thought, even on a hair on your arm, that something's not right in a situation, trust it. Yes. When we look at where women have been assaulted, it's like nine times out of 10, they had a feeling someone was following yep. them or they didn't, you know, but they didn't want to yep. be rude or they didn't want right. to hurt someone's feelings. And that shows up for us in relationships too. We get all of right. these hairs on the back of our neck standing up. We get all of these like, mm, that was strange or yeah. mm, here's some red flags or mm, he's 42. He's never been married and he has Peter Pan syndrome and he doesn't like your kids. There's some things that are going on, but you're like, oh, bitch, what about, you know, I, I'm not going to trust that because these other things in this basket over here are great. Well, trusting the process that there is someone out there, but first loving yourself, I guess is most important. Yes. I mean, we have an inner compass. You have an inner guidance system. If you want to get a little woo, we're all connected. So when I'm trying to make things happen and I'm not connected to the universe, God, creator, whatever it is for you, then yeah, I'm not going to trust these hits that I'm getting. But when I'm connected, I'm going to get these hits that don't quite make sense. But something inside of me is saying, no, I need to trust my no. I need to trust my no and I need to trust my yes. I love it. So top takeaways, someone's going through a breakup. They don't know where to turn. What should they do? What should they consider? I definitely think you need to be in community, whether with a therapist. A lot of my clients work with a therapist and a coach because they work really well together, but we do two different things. It's important to understand the psychology of why you do what you do, but also how will you move forward from here and what will be different moving forward from here. So I think it's really important. I don't recommend DIYing this. You wouldn't DIY a broken foot. Why would you do it with a broken heart? So where can listeners find more about you? You can find me on the gram. So at the Taliardini, if you are interested in learning more, DM me. If you're currently going through a breakup and or divorce, you have some questions, I can definitely point you in the right direction. So don't be shy. And there will be all of those links down below in the show notes. Pal, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for showing up, for listening. And until next time. 